Hello, everybody. We're doing something a little different with these next couple episodes of No Driving Gloves. We've interviewed Sterling from 3D Car Printing, and the interviews went a little bit long. There's really a heavy video portion. So episode 140 of No Driving Gloves will be the audio interview with Sterling. Episode 141 is going to be the walk-around video uh, with Sterling. We highly recommend you check out our Patreon page, No Driving Gloves, and you can see the video, the audio quality, because he's moving around and at the fringes of his network. Are, it's pretty bad in that episode. And then episode 142 will be a replay of Sean's interview with Sterling from 2019 when he was doing his own radio show, Zero to Sixty. And you can see where the car was a year ago and what Sean got out of him then and reflect on episode 140, what we got out of him now has the cars greatly progressed in the year since. We do thank you for your time today, and we hope you enjoy this three-episode arc covering Sterling from 3D Car Printing. Thank you. Game on. Welcome, everybody. Uh, no driving gloves again. The team that we have tonight is obviously me. I never go away. You always have to listen to me drone on and on. Then we have Sean and we have Derek tonight. Hello. We've got a guest tonight. Uh, Sean reached out. I know Sean's talked to this gentleman before. He's kind of doing, I want to say, extensive, interesting project. I think something a lot of us would love to undertake but we have uh, Sterling from 3D Car Printing. He's in the process working with his son. I believe it's a STEM project, and I'm assuming teaching him 3D printing, and to me, that's a wave of the future. You know, I've got my 3D printer here in the studio with me and love tinkering with it when I have time, and I, I have my CNC in the garage and all of that fun stuff, but... Sterling, you want to give us like just a one-minute intro, and then we'll try to pull some stuff out of you as we, we go. And get yeah, sure. I'm a scientist uh, by training, so I'm a PhD laser physicist. Um, I work for a company called Bohr Labs uh, that distributes uh, lasers and uh, componentry all over the world. So I've always been into science and technology, uh, engineering and mathematics, obviously, but I'm also a car guy, so I love building cars. Previous project was a 69 Mustang, um, so I've rebuilt engines, uh, you know, put cars back together, but never anything to this magnitude, which is building something from scratch. This is kind of new for me, and I wanted to basically just show kids how cool technology could be, especially my son and my daughters, of course. Then we wanted to outreach to other kids and, and, and just really... Why would we pick a, such a beautiful car? Uh, it's to get the conversation started with the kids because they see it and they go, ooh and ah, so they want to find out more. So that's kind of uh, where we started this project and, and a little bit of who I am. Go into a little bit of the background as to why you chose that car, though, because I find that pretty cool. Like the the reasons behind... I know there's the ooh and ah, there's the ooh, my, that's that's amazing factor. But there was a, a backstory that you gave me before the last time we talked that I thought was a really cool tie-in. Sure. Current yeah, the, the backstory on, on why we chose this project was uh, my son and I like playing uh, Forza Horizon 3. Um, and we always get in the uh, Lamborghini Aventador. It's always been one of my favorite cars when it came out in, uh, I think, 2012. 
And it basically just captured kind of, for me, all of the design elements that, that, that Lamborghini had done over the years in their flagship cars. And my son Xander both fell in love with the Aventador as well, but also the Urus, which is their new SUV. So those are the big cars that uh, uh, we would uh, play in the video game. And just quipping one day, my son turns to me and says, Dad, could we build one of these? And I didn't have a good answer because I wanted to say yes, because I've always wanted to build a supercar. Uh, so it's something I've always wanted to do, but I knew that it was going to be expensive. It was going to be a lot of work. And my son has a, uh, about a 20 minute attention span, just like everybody else's, uh, uh, kids. Um, so <laughs> you, you have to bear that in mind when you get into a project like this, that you're doing with your children, they're, they're going to come into the, into the project, but they're they're not going to be there 100% of the time that you're working on it. So I said yes. So it wasn't just for him. It was for me as well. But I think a lot of people like that story that we were just kind of sitting there and most dads would have said, Haha, no. <laughs> have you lost your mind? Are, are you a car guy? Do you have background car experience? Did you ranch in high school, uh, you know, have your muscle car or yeah. whatever? Or did you just go into this and say, Let's figure this out. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I am a car guy from way back when. My first car was a 68 Fire Chicken um, I bought for $600, and it was a real, you know, pile of so. I and my father at the time spent a lot of time putting it back together. And after we were done, it was great because it was still a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sean had the sister to your car, uh, being a Camaro and... You know, I think Derek started with a 74 GTO or that was early on in his life. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were able to wrench and play with things. I was a car stereo guy. So I built car stereos in my car and, you know, it was all wiring and that never any performance. You know, I was, I was the guy that you hear two miles away and I'm partially deaf from it today. But it's, why did you choose to print the Lamborghini or create your own scratch body. You know, one one of the children in the house here came up to me and said, hey, can we build a car? The first thing I'm going to do is, yeah, we can. And I'm going to look at, you know, some sort of pre-assembled kit to do it, to 3D print an entire car. I mean, the manufacturers are just beginning to experiment with that. What possessed you to go, hey, let's, we're going to build it and we're going to build every little bit of it. I think uh, mainly desperation. Um, and the reason I say that is because we started out, when I first thought about it, I'm like, well, I, I can't afford to buy Lamborghini parts. They're just too expensive, even from a salvage yard. We knew that we had to do most of the car from scratch. We were going to use standard coach building techniques. You know, we were going to cut out a buck out of plywood and hammer some metal around it. You know, that's kind of the idea that I had um, at first. And then I got involved with 3D printing at work probably about five or six years prior to that. And it was cute. And you could make little knickknacks and crap you could put in on your uh, uh, shelves and whatnot. And so it was kind of interesting, but it, but it really wasn't that practical. And then I took a look back again when I was trying to figure out how we we're going to do the body back at 3D printing and, and saw how far it came 
especially in the desktop printers that you could buy from, say, Amazon. Um, you know, the smaller format printer. There's no industrial printer involved in, in this project. This is something that we bought for under $1,000. That's when I decided, let's give it a go. Let's try it. Let's print out a panel. Let's see how it looks. And then we had to figure out, okay, so now we have a plastic car panel. We're going to take it outside. It's going to melt in the sun, and we're going to have a big pile of goo around a frame. So that wasn't going to work. That's when I did some research on YouTube University and saw people who were skinning uh, parts in uh, carbon fiber and fiberglass and other things. And I thought, well, hey, we could do carbon fiber. The aerospace industry has cut the price of carbon fiber dramatically because of all of the aircraft now that are made out of carbon fiber. So getting the mat way back when was very expensive. And now, nowadays, it's pretty inexpensive. And so we decided that's what we're going to do is try to skin these parts with carbon fiber. Go back to printing the part. I'm going to 3D print an Aventador door. No pun intended. You're going to print an event. You're going to print a door. <laughs> it has a vent <laughs> and the door. Like you said, you bought your printer on Amazon for less than a thousand bucks. So you don't have a printer like you can even see at some of the maker fairs and that, that will print an entire door. You're printing puzzle pieces that you're assembling into a door. And then I assume bonding and gluing together and then kind of skinning them in the, the carbon to number, like you said, number one, protect them from melting in that, but also to, I'm assuming to give them a smooth finish. Uh, I know in uh, your Facebook and going through all the photos, there's a really good shot. I think of the uh, front bonnet that it looks like it's nine pieces or something that are glued together and you can kind of see, the filler or whatever you're using to smooth the, the panels together. That's the way you're doing it, correct? You're just not printing a quarter panel or printing a fender, etc. That's that's correct. What we do is we, we use a program called SolidWorks, a 3D modeling program. It's actually a professional version that I use through my work. And I have access to it at night when what I do is I chop it up, make it fit inside the printer, and each section has a number to it, and we print out each section, and then you are correct. We epoxy those sections together. Now, things don't always go to plan. I've printed four bumpers in my career doing this. The reason is, is because we end up with distortions and other problems from the 3D printing process. So I want to make it pretty clear that this is not just, hey, hit the print button and <laughs> you're ready to ride. There's a lot of... Not something you downloaded on Thingsverse? No, I, I actually found a 3D model of a 10th scale toy. That's what I ported over into our modeling software. And then I had to blow it up full size because I knew the wheelbase and the track width. And then I made some modifications to it because, frankly, I didn't want to get in trouble with Lamborghini. So I wanted a wide body car. So we'd stretched it 100 millimeters in the rear and 50 in the front. We changed the panels a little bit. That's basically what I read to, you know, how you stay out of trouble other than not making parts. Uh, that's a big no-no with Lamborghini. And don't call it a Lamborghini. Yeah, that's that, that's no, that's another big one. Yeah, and don't build a full Lamborghini right. and then try to sell it as a Lamborghini. That is the big thing that they made clear is, is that they're still against fakes and copying but they said that this story was something that they had just not heard of before 
And in our conversations that really, they were taking a risk. They were taking a big risk with us. So you, you did reach out to Lamborghini and you've had communications and they're totally aware of... They reached out to you, didn't they? They. I have a friend who works at Tufts University who's Italian and he knew a guy who worked with Lamborghini uh, in marketing. And so I told him, hey, out the feelers and just see what they think. You know, give me a give me something back like, hey, the project's cool or hey, Stop making a, a replica. Whatever the word was going to be, I, w- I just wanted to hear it. Uh, then I got a phone call from uh, their chief marketing officer, and I thought I was in serious trouble. How did it come up on your phone? Did it literally say Lamborghini <laughs> Automobile? It, no, 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 it came up on my phone. Is in the uh, I I recognize the country code okay. is Italy, but I have a lot of colleagues to work with over in Italy, and so I didn't think anything of it. I just thought it was one of my colleagues calling that I just didn't have that number in my phone. And she introduced herself, and very very nice lady. She just amazing. And then I understand why she's in the position she is right now after my many conversations with her. After I found out that I wasn't in trouble, you know, I wasn't going to get sued back to the- How long into the call? Um, it was pretty quick. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I didn't leave you hanging. She said, she said hey, we want to discuss a, a, a project with you. I'm like, a project with me? What do you want from an idiot like me? I mean... <laughs> we would like you to make our replacement panels for for all of our North yeah. and it's like I'm, I'm now talking basically to the Pope <laughs> in my view That's awesome you know I've idolized Lamborghini ever since I was a kid but it was a great conversation I was uh, stunned and then they said you know after she kind of outlined uh, basically said that they wanted to surprise my son by doing a Christmas video and they were going to bring a real Aventador to our home and replace it with my replica uh, so that Xander could come out and uh, be surprised that uh, you can see in the video where I lean over to him and I say, I think I got it done. And the door rises and Xander's sitting there with just this shock on his face. (laughs) Genuine, by the way, that was not scripted. So that was the first time he'd seen the car and knew what was going on. Oh, that's cool. So we did a pretty good job of keeping it. It it helped because at that point I'd done like 20 or 25 interviews, local TV, national, that kind of stuff. And so he was kind of none the wiser, uh, except for the fact that Lamborghini flew 25 people over from Italy to do this whole thing. <laughs> Blew my mind. Like 25 people hanging out in your driveway? In, in my house. I mean, and it was yeah. funny because it the Italians are great because they just like – all of a sudden, you have another 25 people added to your family. They were amazing people. The uh, production company they got, Indiana Productions, was awesome. They, were, they left a very small footprint in our house. They were uh, very respectful. Um, it was completely the opposite of what I thought it was going to be. The Lamborghini people, again, were like, hey, you're part of the family now. You know, It was just and, – and at that point, I was That's thinking – Yes, yeah, there's somebody I have to kill now. Is that is that how this works? <laughs> ah, we're gonna let you finish the car. Hey, hey, whoa, 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 John, John, and I both we can attest that you know you're just part of the family. You're just part of the family. You don't have to do anything, okay? Until we ask. Okay. Until we ask of you. That's awesome. I find it interesting that you say you were basically embraced by Lamborghini and. 
I watch another channel. We've talked about it, YouTube channel, uh, um, VinWiki. You know, there's a whole story about the like and hyper sport that was used with Fast and the Furious and all of that. He reached out to W Motors and W Motors is being very supportive of his project in STEM. And it's, to me, it really makes the uh, little guys down the road from Lamborghini kind of look bad because anytime I'm a big replica follower, you know, kit car guy. And a lot of times when, you know, McBurney replicas, Ferrari Daytona replicas come up and things like that, everybody talks about the lawsuits and litigation and Mercedes 300 SL gull wings and things like that. And it, it really hurts them. But Lamborghinis, to me, you know, they don't like the replica because it, no matter what, even in the Cobra world, they hurt, hurt the values and some of, some of that. But it's, it's great to see them recognizing what you're doing, why you're doing it. And it's not to have a Lamborghini. It's to teach your children and you're taking it out and trailering it to school schools and show them what you're doing. You're, you're, te- you know, trying to get kids involved in STEM programs and hopefully into cars. And, and I got to tell you, you know, I think Lamborghini's main goal is that they just want to project the, when you buy a Lamborghini, your family. And, and I really think that that's kind of the message here is, is that they kind of brought us in and they just, treated us like, you know, we were one of the gang, that we were family, that uh, we could basically do no wrong. It was, uh, it's an impressive, uh, you know, I, I, I deal with a lot of high power companies and a lot of really good companies. That's how they take care of their customers is, is that they're very attentive to them and they treat them like family. And I think that's how you get repeat customers. They called up one Wednesday afternoon uh, while I was at work, and they said, uh, "Hey, Sterling, what are you and Xander doing this weekend?" And I was like, "Well, I don't care what I'm doing this weekend. What am I doing this weekend?" And uh, they said, "Well, we have this thing that we're doing up in Aspen, where they're driving uh, these uh, Uruses and Huracans around the track in the snow up in Aspen, and they wanted to know if we would come." I basically said, "Well, I'm in my car. I'm packed. What's the address?" Yes. Yes. Yeah. The answer is always yes. Yeah, exactly. And and so it, it was interesting because I got there and I really had a preconception about who I was going to meet. I was going to be rich people, very snooty people, just basically would, you know, look down their nose at you and stuff like that. And when I originally walked into the uh, super fancy hotel, I had never been like before in my life. It was like the Ritz and Aspen. When I met the crew, they're just all car people. Everyone that I met were self-made. So they were people who take a risk in business, had beat their butts to the bone, and then had made them themselves and now could afford such a luxury car and were going to these events. And they were just car people. It was, it was so refreshing. I was flabbergasted by, by most of the people I met. I'm really good friends with a, a couple of Lamborghini owners and you know one of them actually has a 12 Aventador and then has a SV and you know he's had Lamborghinis as long as I've known him the dozen years plus that I've known him and, and other drivers and they really are car pe- a lot of them are really car people and don't, don't get you know don't get me wrong there are some that 
portray kind of what you were fearful of needing. But even, you know, my friend who spent more money than I'm ever going to make in my life, unless something changes here drastically, you know, he was going to Italy. He called Lamborghini and he said, I could I possibly meet Valentino Baboni? And they said, yeah, maybe. He goes, I would love to take him to lunch. Will he be available? And they said, I don't know. Here, ask him. And they handed him the phone and he's on the phone with Valentino as a friend making dinner, dinner arrangements. It's just, you know, I don't want to make this a story about how great Lamborghini is, but it's, you know, very, very friendly. Getting back to your car, Sean and I had the conversation. He wasn't sure, you know, how you were doing if you were skinning or making molds, etc. Uh, but as somebody who does 3D printing, when you're printing these panels and then you're assembling them, I, I said something to Sean, if it was me, I would be printing them and then I would be adjusting the fill and, you know, printing them. It's, you know, I guess the thickness and, and things like that for the listeners that are really into 3D printing. Obviously, this is, you know, not something where you can go and look up uh, very readily. I saw that there's somebody in the, you know, a few years ago who was doing like a DB4 and they were 3D printing some of the body parts. Really, the formula we had to come up with ourselves. So, printed four bumpers. The reason I printed four bumpers is because the first one I did, I printed it. It looked great. I'd use uh, some body filler to kind of fill in uh, any distortions like warpage and things like that you get from the printer. Um, we try to smooth it out as much as possible. Basically just use kind of standard body technique on the part. And then we found that instead of just laying the carbon fiber on top of it with epoxy, what we needed to do was vacuum and fuse the part with carbon fiber and epoxy. And so we watched a bunch of videos on that, uh, some professional vid videos and then others by YouTubers. And then so I took my first part, which was the rear bumper of the Aventador. And at this point, we weren't doing an SV. We were doing just a standard Aventador. The SV change came a little later. We put it into a vacuum bag. The vacuum helps the atmospheric pressure push down on the part and adhere the carbon fiber to the part, um, as well as giving it some solidity to the uh, carbon fiber when the epoxy cures. We pulled a vacuum on the part and we immediately crushed it into uh, basically a little ball. So that was our first go at it. Yeah, we're, we're starting off as idiots, basically, not knowing what the hell we're doing and how we're doing. But we learned a huge amount from that one mistake. And that's always my philosophy to the kids. Fail, but learn from your failure. So that's really important. Yeah, that's all failure is, is a learning and teaching experience. When are you uh, coming out with the 3D car printing for dummies book? <laughs> so I'm working with a lot of uh, builders right now who are trying to, you know, attempt this process or part of this process. And so I'm telling them basically what I've learned from all of the mistakes that we've made. So I have a formula now for printing out the panels, and I basically just give that uh, to folks uh, who need it. Um, but I do it on a on a you know you ask I tell uh, basis. Um, so I'm not. Last thing I want to do is make any money on this project. I just want to get the information out. Um, I don't have time to write a book. <laughs> you know, people 
criticize my <laughs> the book's writing itself, Sterling. You don't even have to write it. Yeah, people people criticize my my videography and on YouTube, and I tell them, you know, take a hike. I don't care. I'd rather be working it's, on that. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's, like it's, that's not what you're into. You don't like my cell phone? It's tough. <laughs> Go somewhere else. Go watch B is for Build or something. They've got more professional stuff. <laughs> We're not even going to get into that right now with, with <laughs> what's going on with them. That's, that's, and that's, that actually is, that, that is a fairly decent segue though, coming if we want to go back around to the, how cool Lamborghini has been and what those folks are going through with a particular Mustang right now with how bad it can go. Yeah. It speaks volumes that particular Italian brand, man. I really, I was really uh, into the Huracan build because of what we were doing here. And we just had so many, I think, corollaries to the things that we were doing. And then I saw them near the end, they started picking up some 3D printing. So that was great. Anymore or anything like that. I just like what they do. So uh, so, so that's been great, um, watching other people do those things. And what I really liked on videos for Build, as opposed to some of the other channels, is, is that they screwed up a lot and then came back and told you why they screwed up and why they did something wrong and what they were going to do to fix it. And so that, that always really uh, made me happy to, to, to see that, that particular type of, of information that they were giving out. Cause it's kind of the same philosophy that we have here. Folks like to see the fail. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, it's always good when they, sh- they show the failure and so many people avoid it and make it look perfect. And uh, you know, I, I know in the, excuse me, the B is for build. They, how many times did they have to mold and remake the doors for that car? Right. Um, he failed and failed for a couple of episodes till they finally figured it out. I almost got tired of watching the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I like to see the thought process that goes like from start to finish. Literally the thought process that goes into the fail in my mind is every bit as important as the fix and getting to the finished product. Like I, it's very cool to see the idea that sparks it and then how it evolves as you, as you progress. And then, you know, there are people out there that are literally seeing the process that you've come up with Sterling that are going, well, you know, I could take that and then I could do this and we could tweak this and we can do, and it, it's, it's going to evolve into something. I don't necessarily want to get into the, uh, what is Sterling's, what's Sterling's vision for how this is going to impact, you know, garage car building, hot rodding, um, just car construction in general for the, for the hobbyist in the future just yet, because I'd really like for folks to know a little more about your particular car before we get into the, that prognosticating of, of how this is going to impact yeah. uh, future hobbyists. And it's going to happen. But, oh, it's definitely going to happen. You know, whether it's no a project or somebody else's, it's going to happen. That's just the way technology yeah, and I, I mean, I want to jump in and ask ask a couple questions. I'm going to back up even to the the beginning of the episode a little bit. You know, you talked about when you first started talking about the idea. You know, possibly going the old you know coach building way of bucks and hammering out metal, and then you came along with the 3D printing idea. And you talk about some of your failures that have occurred. I mean, I grew up kind of doing body work, and that's you know my dad restores cars and does kind of coach metal work and things like that. And, you know, there's, there's difficulties to each, you know, whether you're working on a a curved panel or a flat panel or compound curved panel, I've dabbled about, you know, that much in 3d printing, 
in the museum world and objects conservation, we, we are starting to use it to make replica parts, things like that, which we're also doing in the antique automotive restoration world. Printing you know, these pieces of panels and, and putting them together, are you finding different challenges from flat panels to curved panels that you're working on? Some of these different things, are there different techniques that are evolving depending on the shape of the panel, the way you have to put it together to make it work right. I'm just, I'm really curious about these things. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. You have, you know, you have parts where, you know, panels get close to overlapping one another. You've got these uh, compound curves and things like that. Now 3d printing can handle a lot of that from an outside perspective, but when you look at the interior structure and the fact that, hey, at some point I have to put a carbon fiber skin on this and I can't create any voids in the part because if you do that, epoxy gets in there, it heats up when it starts to cure and it just melts the part. We've had that happen many, many times. So that's a big one right there. I think the biggest advantage that we have for 3D printing body panels is is that when I do a body panel, all I have to do is say uh, mirror, mirror around Y, print again. And now I have an exact replica that is a mirrored replica for the other side. So that is a huge advantage. So I only had to design effectively half the car, right? And then the rest, I, I, I just, you know, mirrored it and everything worked out great. So yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Uh, you do have to still keep that in mind when you're doing these parts because it, it's not a simple process. It seems simple from the from the surface, but once you get into the encapsulation and carbon fiber, that's where I think it really gets into the uh, gritty details and uh, becomes almost as difficult as, as uh, forming metal. You're doing full encapsulation, right? You're doing front You're and back. Full of the encapsulation. Part. One of the things, again, this was because even before we talked to Lamborghini, we didn't want to have it appear we were making molds. Okay. So we wanted it to appear that we were doing a project for STEM and STEAM, and this was a one-off. And basically, we were just helping garage builders, you know, kids to see how you could do things really uh, from your own garage if you had the passion and the time and the ability to do this, or or the ability to learn is the is the biggest part of that. I didn't know if this was even going to work. This was a complete uh, hail mary. I've seen you driving it, man. It's working, There's no doubt. I, I drove it today. The local police department already gave me the thumbs up on driving it down my street. So <laughs> nice, very nice. Talk talk about a little bit about um, before we get into the that future prognostication that I was talking about. What are all of these printed panels going on to? Like, what's the chassis? What's the drive line? What's what is what makes up the guts of the car? Because it's it's cool, man. I mean, it's it's underneath. It's kind of hot, right? It, it's very hot underneath. Um, I'm telling you, it's you know that's where I've probably gotten the most criticism from people is on the frame because I didn't get it from anywhere. I built it myself. Look, guys, I'm a physicist. Okay, I think I can do math. I think I can do statics. You know, I think I understand strengths and materials and things of that nature. Yeah, I got this. It's a frame is not rocket science. I'm, it's not like I'm taking this and, and doing the Pikes Peak hill climb with it, right? I'm taking it around to schools. It's not going to see a track. So, so the point is, is that you know, it's a standard ladder 
frame. But you get into a very good point, Sean, and that is now I've got these panels, I've got this frame. How do I put them on? Yeah. <laughs> and frankly, that has been one of the hardest things of this whole project. How do I attach the panels to the box, to the frame? Have you done it? I have done it. I know, but how? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to come up with some techniques for attaching the panels. Um, I finally decided to use some steel uh, in certain places uh, where it made sense. When we go around and look at the car, I'll show you some of the metal work that I've actually done uh, with my crappy Harbor Freight uh, brake and my set of hammers. Um, which is basically all I have to do metal work. The point is, is that I'm using some of those uh, techniques to attach the panels to the car. You got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. I put uh, basically inserts into the carbon fiber panels, panel bond them in. I try to have a mechanical attachment to the front side of the panel so that, you know, it's not just going to pop off when I'm going down the road. So I'm not going to be shedding panels. But trying to make it a, a solid uh, mount to the chassis has been very challenging. And funny enough, I would say it's one of the most challenging things we've done. Driveline-wise, what are we talking about? Uh, we're talking something uh, pretty uh, ubiquitous for a mid-engine car um, or a mid-engine kit car, which is I've got an LS1. I mean, okay. I chose an LS1 because A, they're cheap. B, the aftermarket is enormous. Um, and, and then that makes the aftermarket less expensive. Um, and they're good engines. That's they right. They sure are. So, Sterling. Um, that's why I chose. The- <laughs> uh, do we have a Chevy guy know, in the house? Is that didn't read sensing? Didn't read my bio. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, wait, Derek, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate more of the stuff that's in the car then. As I say, you know, I, I'm sure one of the Chevy engineers probably ran by your house before the C8 <laughs> was introduced to make sure, you know. <laughs> Got it from a junkyard in Iowa, and it's it's uh, it's worked ever since. I hadn't had started it uh, since uh, Lamborghini was here in December, and I fired it up uh, about a week ago, and it just it just lit right up. Um, it survived the winter without any uh, issues. After that, I'm using a 911 uh, Porsche Transaxle. Inverted, that's typical. There's a company called Kennedy Engineering that makes a beautiful kit to put the two uh, parts together. Um, So it's a six-speed manual. So it's the only gated, uh, shifted Aventador, six-speed. Yeah, be careful. It's not an Aventador. (laughs) Be be careful. Be careful. Pull that back. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. There you go. Allegedly. So so wait, but wait. Actually, if it's an LS one, is it a Corventador? There you is go. That, Ooh, Corventador. Is that where we're going? Ooh, that works. Uh, ex- I, I don't think a Lamborghini would like that one. <laughs> no, I don't think Corvette would either. I it, actually, if you cut that, John, I might get in trouble. That's a good segue for a Lamborghini story here. So when they were here, their director of marketing was here, a guy by the name of Pietro Donati. Fantastic guy. Um, we we talk almost every other week. At the time, the car had an Audi steering wheel in it. And the reason for that is very simple. The steering column was off of an Audi, which is what they use in the real Lamborghini. We got one of those from a junkyard, and I got the steering wheel as well. So he took one look at that, and he said, that's not going to work. Then I got in the mail a uh, basically a real Aventador steering wheel for the car. That was their contribution to the project. 
Absolutely. Wow. That's a solid contribution. Oh, that is that not is. an expensive piece of equipment. You know, it, I, I realize how hard for them that is to do. But again, it's just that feeling of family that they like to uh, have projected from their company. I didn't even realize that, they, that you had gotten that. I know. That's, it's the crowning jewel for the entire project as far as I'm concerned. epic. I judge cars. I literally, when I get into a car, the one of the... And I know a lot of people do this. So you put your hands on that. The first thing that I judge when I get in the car is, is this steering wheel something that I can have my hands on every time I get in here and be happy about it? Answer is no. I don't want the car. I literally will discount the entire car off of <laughs> off of the steering wheel. Um, that's cool, man. That's yeah. really cool that they that they went down that road. Yeah. They they've gone over and they above. They have gone over and above. Um but you know, I, I mean, it's the same thing. They 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 don't like people copying and selling their cars. They just did just right. Brand. So if I can step back real quick, Sterling, because you said you built you built your own frame, yes. uh, ladder ladder frame, pretty standard, like you say. Right, steel but box. what did what did you make it? Yeah, what did you make it out of? Is it a steel frame or what did you go with? Uh, One twenty five wall, two by four uh, steel is the main box. Then that is. Um, crossed two inch uh, chrome molly tubing. Oh, nice. The nice thing is, is it's a mid engine, right? So I don't have to worry about a, a drive shaft tunnel at all. Um, mm-hmm. So we could make the frame really strong. And then the uh, engine cage is, or the rear subframe, which is still welded to the car. It's not bolted. It's actually welded all together. Uh, is two by three tubing. And it's basically set up like you would see uh, a kind of a standard Lamborghini Aventador rear subframe. They use aluminum. I'm using steel. So I really think the frame on this car is is overbuilt. On the front of it, it's uh, again two by three steel for the front subframe. Very nice. So you've got the Porsche transaxle in the back. Is it is it 911 Cayman Boxster? And and did you did you keep that suspension layout as yeah. well? Or <laughs> you opened a can of worms there. Can <laughs> I'm good at my dirty little secrets. I'm really good at it. So uh, it's a G96 dash zero zero from I think it was an 02 911. You know it's not built, so it has the standard guts in it. If I really wind this LS up, I could probably drop it in in on the uh, interstate if I wanted to. But that's something for down the road, right? Be able to drive it around first, so we don't have to put a whole bunch of gas in. But and that doesn't help with the fact that I put uh, twin hair dryers on the LS. I know you were talking about doing that. I didn't know whether you'd actually gotten to that. I actually did. You do it? Okay. There are. What kind of power is it putting out, or do you even know? I have no idea. I'm hoping to be somewhere around 500, maybe 600, okay. somewhere in that range. The transaxle can handle that, but it just can't handle the torque. Yeah, I mean, it's that transaxle is a 450 to 500 horsepower maybe, transaxle. Maybe. Right. Maybe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, if I'm not launching the bloody thing, it'd probably do pretty well. No launch controls. No for launch you. controls for me. It's your own. You, you're your own launch control. That with is that, exactly right. right. I mean, yes. So I yeah. can put it on the chip and pong it, man. Burn out my clutch instead of dropping yeah, my transaxle. Totally. What's the What's the front suspension? So the the front is a Mustang two setup, except oh, okay. for the fact that it's got a cantilevered suspension, uh, front and rear. Oh, so I decided to go. Definitely want to see that with the kind of standard Aventador uh, suspension system. Okay. It's great for the rear because it keeps the uh, keeps the coilovers out of the airstream, and it's a little easier to adjust. I will definitely pick your brain on that cantilever if if you're cool with it because we're we're building a uh, yeah we're building a, a 
we're building the Spitfire autocross car that we're going to cantilever front and rear on it. That sounds amazing. Um, it's pretty simple. It's it's not rocket science. Yeah, it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. It just it just needs to balance the yeah, car. You're just moving a force to a pivot, and that's it. Right. Getting all sciency on us. Gosh, jeez. It's not rocket science. It's just <laughs> physics and lasers. What's I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's just lasers. Just I, I just laser have to retract my statement because the name of this car is getting longer because now we got Porsche parts in there, Mustang, two parts. I mean, I, I don't even know where to go with the name of this thing now. Oh, we haven't we haven't even scratched. The oh yeah, well that's there. right. We got Audi in there. I mean, uh, <laughs> oh wait till wait, wait till you see the Ford Thunderbird parts. Oh nice. It, well, everybody on this podcast knows I'm a Thunderbird fan. Super Coupe, Super Coupe parts. We have what generation Thunderbird parts are on it? Uh, ninety six. Okay. So the half shafts are Thunderbird. Oh, cool. And they're they're both the right-hand half shafts because uh, I have a symmetric drivetrain, so the everything's centered so that the uh, half shafts have to be the same length. Gotcha. Yeah, that's right. Have you weighed um, it yet? Well, they were $50. That's why I bought them. 50 whole dollars. 50 whole dollars. That'll be the first that'll be the first part that you need spares of, definitely. And then it's got a uh, Cobra um hubs in the rear okay i'm coming up on about 50 minutes or so here right now i'm looking forward we're going to do a walk around of the car but i think that's much more for the people that are patreon supporters and are be able to watch this for video we'll still run the audio in case you want to listen beyond but i think i want to wrap the show up there and i want to get to the pontificating but let's go ahead and i always say you can find no driving gloves at no driving and the Facebook pages, no driving gloves, Instagram, no driving gloves. Where do people go if they're not already following you, Sterling? Where do they go to find your build? What's your YouTube? What's your Facebook? What's We do most of our updates on uh, Facebook. It's called 3D car printing, like it says in your background. Um, so you can just do that search or you can go to uh, facebook.com forward slash uh, laser sterling. I say if actually if you just google 3D car printing there's a, a lot of things come up and it's about me and my son and my Lamborghini is the cute what the Google description is it's that's how I found, found your Facebook and then what's your YouTube? Uh, YouTube channel is just laser sterling. I'm, I'm sorry but I just, I just gotta say like he's got the coolest name to be able to do stuff with lasers I mean laser sterling it's it's I'm jealous. Laser Derek does not have a ring to it. I don't know. It's got a little bit of a punch to it. <laughs> we can hook you up. <laughs> laser Sterling. I'm going with Laser Yoder. One of the questions I had, how are the students and how how is your son reacting to this? Because first it's a Forza game and then it's a question to dad and then it's this dream because – takes a while we never asked how long it takes to how much time and filament do you have in printing is the interest with your children still there or has that 20 minutes went on and this is you or are they still participating and then how are the students when you take it and show it because everybody accuses kids not being into cars and the three of us the four of us on this podcast have always said that Kids are into cars. They're just into it a lot different with Forza and video games and that than we we were as kids. You know, they weren't wrenching on things or running stereo wires. We talked earlier and such. It's just a different way that they're into cars. And I think you're proving that your son from video games is into cars. But go back to my question. Are your kids still interested? And then how are the other students that you've taken it to and shown it to reacting? So, you know, my kids still have 
a little bit of interest in the in the project. I wouldn't say that they were, you know, full tilt into it because at the end of the day, they got to be kids, right? So they've got to explore all of their interests. I try not to jam it down their throat, but when they want to help, they get to help. My daughter learned how to solder and how to do wiring um, about a month and a half ago. And uh, she's been, every time I do some wiring or some soldering, she wants to help. It's that kind of thing where you throw out little nuggets that you know that they can help you with, that they'll learn something important. And then, you know, the big one was uh, a couple Saturdays ago, we got in the car fully dressed and uh, meaning all the panels were on it. And we... Not you. Not, not you, the actual car. Dressed. <laughs> it, 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 it was a family show. You opened that door, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got in the car and we drove it around the driveway. So, and they were just, they were over the moon. They loved that particular interaction. And maybe at the end of the day, that's the biggest interaction I get out of them is, is uh, going around to car shows and them speaking up about the car and, and telling people what they've actually done on it. All of them have been involved. You know, my eldest daughter, who's a teenager, who could give a absolute rip about a car other than just driving it to her boyfriend. She helps me bleed the brakes, you know, when I need, when I need help, she's not real involved and she doesn't, you know, ask, Hey dad, what can I do on the car? Then at the same time, she goes, dad, can you teach me how to weld? I mean, that's huge, right? Humongous. And so I, I set out a couple hours and I taught her how to MIG weld and she's a natural. Her first bead was like perfect. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> Are you sure you don't want to do more? Well, could, could you do some of the welding? Because your dad <laughs> Right. So I, I think it's really stuff like that where you take those opportunities as you can get them. Yes, I am doing most of the work. I don't want anybody, you know, Xander and my da- daughters are you know, wholly involved in the project. It's, it's a lot about me decompressing from work and doing something that I love and having a creative outlet. Again, if the kids want to come and they want to do something on the car, then I slow down and we do something. It's cool that there's more investment in it. There's there's definitely more investment in it from your family than there would be if you had a Camry sitting in the driveway that you were hanging an exhaust system on or something sure. like that. You know, like it's I know that seeing the fact that it has risen from nothing and they know that, you know, their father has has been the the catalyst behind that and they've had their hands in it they're going to care about that car more than they're going to care about the minivan or you know whatever else it's it's just cool it's a way to get them invested in that project and you know this this car has doesn't have a carburetor has efi has a computer has a lot of it's got can bus gauges on it so we have to do some computer programming um so you know it it, it it's gonna show them kind of the latest technology that's out there for a car rather than an old Ford Mustang that has a carburetor on it. So that's, that's the other cool thing is, is that it, it kind of prepares them for the future in the advancements that we have in cars today. As far as the advancements that you're talking about, I know I, I alluded to it a little bit, a little bit ago and John did as well. You are, I don't want to say that you're the first person that's ever done a project of this scope with, with 3d printing. I don't know whether you are or not. You might be, you're, you're definitely one of the first that's done it out of their own garage. I, that I, I claim know. to be the first at any of this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you're, you're definitely one of the first to take the technology, the 3d printing technology and 
build what you've built as far as the panels on the car and create a bit of an audience and buzz around what you've done that you can, you can take some credit for that. You're, you're allowed. You, you've and built some cool I'm stuff. After, Sean, is, um, is, is I want to, I want to get it out there and I want people to be interested in stuff like this. So yeah. How do you see it growing from here? Like, do you have a, a sterling vision of, of where this goes? Like, I mean, we, are we looking at printers coming out that have a six foot bed and a, a four foot tall, you know, height that, where you can literally, instead of having to piece together nine pieces to make a door. I mean, do you think people are going to end up if, if you're a serious hot rodder, you've got a printer big enough to print an entire hood in, yeah. your, in your shop? Not because of me, because of I'm not, I'm not saying because of yeah. you, but is, is it evolving? I think people that? are going to, you know, go down this road with with new materials coming out like nylons and polycarbonates and things like that. And the printers being able to handle those uh, more uh, sophisticated materials, uh, people are going to be able to print panels as is and just pop them on the car no carbon yeah. fiber no fiberglass nothing you know most of your modern car bumpers are uh, a blend of polycarbonate and abs and they have filaments out now where i could actually go downstairs and print something out of that and it can survive the environment so i think you'll be seeing more of that uh, more printers that are able to handle those more sophisticated materials being able to go to a, a, a hot rod shop or a tuning shop and saying, I want, I want a cow hood for my whatever, but I want a, I want an eight inch cow or an eight and quarter inch cow or, and then they, they just print it right there. Yeah. They like, it's their industrial printer to print it. And the nice thing about the industrial printers versus the desktop printers is that they don't have, they've figured out the, the formula. So you don't have to figure that out. So your part doesn't come out warped or distorted or anything like that. You're actually going to get a nice usable part. Whereas from the desktop printer, uh, currently, we have to worry about all those settings. We have to worry about print failures and, and other things because we don't have the diagnostics that the industrial printers have. And so I think you're going to see more sophistication in those desktop printers in printing the more difficult materials, uh, which is fantastic because... You know, then Joe Blow can have a 3D printer in his basement or his garage, blows a plastic part off of his expensive Beamer, and now he can just print it back out and pop it in rather than taking the... I have a Mercedes sitting in the garage right now that, that's literally one of four, and the rear wing doesn't exist. And I need a rear wing for the car if I want to put it back to original spec. And, I mean, John and I have actually sat and looked at this thing. And John, years ago, the first time he looked at it, he's like, you need to get it printed. And back then, the tech was just kind of, eh. but now when you say you need to get it printed, it's kind of like, oh, crap, you can do that. You can do that, and it's easy. We have a local company here, in, of all places, that actually prints all sorts of uh, materials. They print titanium, tantalum, tungsten, copper. I mean, you name it, they can print it. And I know that Koenigsegg has uh, printed their uh, uh, new turbos uh, out of titanium, um, their new turbo that actually has no turbo lag because they can have these fancy schmancy uh, chambers inside of the turbo that you couldn't do with standard techniques that you can only do with 3D printing. And so, you know, now that that's coming out from the manufacturers, now it's only from the manufacturers who have low volume and uh, exclusive clientele that's going to start to proliferate down into the... Koenigsegg Tech is definitely going to proliferate. They're that shop. They do some amazing things, man. Well, I, I think this is interesting, John, because, you know, this ties back to the Brian Fuller episode we did just 
what a couple episodes ago uh for you know the avid listeners you know brian was 3d printing titanium parts for his motorcycles and uh, welding them together and i mean it it just shows i think the two shows that we have done the two episodes there we go so this doesn't get confusing the two these two episodes really help show the advancements of 3d printing and and how far we've come basically what we're on probably the verge of with 3d printing parts and components and where things are going to head and change the industry quite drastically in the next few years yeah and and i i belong to a group called 3d print my ride and you know they're it's a nice open forum for guys going hey i tried to print this and it went to hell in a handbasket, and then I tried this material, and it worked great. Uh, you're seeing a lot more of those types of of groups popping up where people are helping each other uh, from the garage standpoint, and we're using those technologies that are being developed by the manufacturers at a somewhat more basic level, but uh, we're still using that technology. I'm so excited to see where this is already gone, and just sitting here thinking about where it's going. Like Derek just said, it, this is something that is, it's now, it's not a decade from now. It's not, it's not even five years from now. It's literally the processes that are being put into place and developed right now for, for doing what you're doing in the garage. Anyone can do it. Anyone yeah. can do it. Like it's, and Sean, it's you amazing. Asked, you asked about the future of this and, and it really brings the point home what my future is for this project is to get kids interested in science and technology. That is the end goal for this entire project. And to go get ice cream in this sucker, because it's pretty cool. There's that too, yeah. <laughs> I say it, It's got to be great for all of your children, say college resumes, and then going into life resume. You know, if they wanted to get into this, as John was saying, 3D printing is getting bigger. I've said for years, the Amazon of the future will be, though they're, you buy a CAD file and it's instantly emailed or downloaded to your 3D printer and it's printed at your house and you have it in a few hours, whatever it is, uh, silverware or whatever, in just a short period of time. And it's just a thing that's going on. And, you know, I mentioned Thingsverse earlier and there's a couple other websites that you can get on and download files and almost print them. They always need some sort of tweaking for your printer or whatever, but you can just, you know, download files and start getting used to the settings of your 3D printer as you, and that's how I did it before I started, you know, creating models and being able to print some of the minor custom stuff I've done. You know, I really want to explore the thing with Sean, but I want to get a slightly larger printer. Mine only has a six by six by six print volume, and I want to get up to something that's 12 by 12 by 12 or 12 by 12 by eight, uh, be able to do a little bit larger part and uh, some things like that. But it's just, you're right. You know, I toured Penske Racing 12 years ago. And they had two 3D printers and they were showing me some of the stuff they were printing. And they said, well, within a couple of years, we'll be able to print actual usable suspension components. And then eight years ago or so at the museum, we tested a, you know, a printer and still you're looking eight, $12,000 at the time. And now you can get into it and just kind of experiment with it for 200, you know, you can get a decent printer for 200 bucks. It's not gonna be the greatest thing in the world. But two to four hundred dollars will get you involved, and you can start playing in that space. And I wanted to get into it as a restoration technician because there's so many things you can print. And I'll jump to Vinwicky again. And a recent episode they had, 
they're interviewing a truck driver who has a Lamborghini Countach replica on a Fiero. And, you know, the outside, and he, you know, talks about what's changed and what's different, but the interior is never done. But he said with the advent of 3D printing, he can now order the vents for the dashboard, et cetera, et cetera, to make it real. And that's the same thing. If I wanted to modify my car, I take the dimensions of the vents, print up new vents and pop them in. Or, you know, I've designed my own iPhone holder to go into the car. Yeah, a lot of people, uh, you, know, there's, you know, there's a lot of little things that you, you can do with them and end up with usable usable parts and it's and, and right. it's just all a little bit custom so we've really i said talked a lot about the car and such and got a lot of this interview out of the way and you know we've had some wind noise in the background and that and that's because we asked sterling to be near the car the car's been in the background for him but let's go ahead you know want to go ahead and do a little bit of a walk around of the car and show us some of this stuff now. Uh, we'll try to narrate it the best we can for the audio listeners. But like I said, it'll be on the Patreon page. If you're a $5 or more Patreon, you get all the videos, but I'll let you know the little thing. Register for the page, sign up. It's not going to bill you until the first of the month. So you, right now, if you signed up for our Patreon, I don't know what date I have this scheduled to come out, but from the date of this episode to the end of the month, you can have and view all the videos for free. So we're not trying to get, get your money for watching, you know, watching that video in case you want to see, you know, Sterling's walk around to the car here. It's, it's on you, Sterling. It's, yep, there we go. 